as he went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. So, uh, surprise, the religious leaders watching Jesus closely. Uh, what we've seen in the pattern was, okay, we're going we're gonna to either set up this situation or we're going to see when this situation comes out, that we're going to see what, what can we do because they were very much threatened by Jesus. They had a lot of... Uh, a lot to lose in their eyes. They had a lot of power. They they didn't believe that he was the Christ. So they had they they were very threatened because wait a minute I, I'm I'm the important one here. And, you know so there I I do believe that there was a, a good deal of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and scribes were looking at were they were they were threatened that they might lose their position. Um, and uh, so what they're doing here though is they're they're trying to compare. Who Jesus is to what the Scripture says, but I think more importantly, what their uh, their traditions said. Because remember, Jesus confronted them and he said, "You honor your traditions over the Word of God." You know, so the traditions of man. So it's it's very uh, you know. So as we're looking at this, it's not uncommon uh, for us as we're reading uh, in the Gospel accounts uh, that uh, the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders were studying Jesus, were watching him, and and were were ready, uh, you know, to write out uh, an accusation. So uh, we're we're not. Uh, this isn't an unfamiliar setting, you know. That's uh, um, verse two says, and behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, "Which of you, having a donkey or an ox, has fallen into a uh, that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day?" And they could not answer him regarding these things. So here's a, a, you know, a another familiar setting: is uh, somebody's in need and they're in front of Jesus. So the familiar setting of a familiar situation of the religious leaders being, you know, questioning who Jesus is and, and trying to catch him, but also that somebody was in need. And those two things often came together, didn't they? Where the religious leaders would see something and then and then they're watching, you know, what is Jesus going to do? What's he going to do? And, and not watching to see somebody's life change and somebody, somebody, their life restored to them. They're more, you know, looking for an accusation, unfortunately. And Instead of getting excited, you know, to see somebody healed, they were more, you know, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And, and uh, that's that's unfortunate. And, uh, um, you know, if you, you remember, so Jesus is asking them about the Sabbath. And it's important to understand that, that the Lord did explain to them that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Very important because they were honoring the Sabbath over the actual person that the Sabbath was was established for, for us to rest in God and to spend a day a day resting. And it was so important. So uh, you know, Jesus said that if you're a note taker uh, in uh, Mark uh, chapter two, verse twenty-seven. So this specific person had dropsy, and um, uh, dropsy is an inflammation uh, of the tissue. Uh, we call it edema. Uh, today. And I didn't know all this. I wrote it down so I wouldn't get lost here. You guys know me with my notes. Otherwise, I'm, I'm lost in the woods somewhere. Um, so it's tied to heart, liver, kidney failure, or malnutrition. And it's it's fatal if it's untreated. So uh, he was very much in a, uh, a, a bad spot, uh, you know, according to his health. And um, But this man's in the best place he could be. 
He's in, he's in a better place than any hospital or anything. He's in front of Jesus, God in the flesh. You know, what, a, what a, an amazing opportunity for this man. And we don't know much about him. I mean, we just see this, that, you know, he's, he's got a, uh, a condition that if untreated is, is fatal. And uh, he's in front of the great physician. He's, he's in front of the one that can heal him. And uh, uh, you see God orchestrating all of this. This didn't just happen. You know, the Lord had him, uh, had him there, and, and uh, he's in the exact place he needed to be and uh, where God wanted him so that he could work in his life. So the question Jesus asked is rhetorical. You know, he, 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 he's, he, just, he poses the question to them. Uh, so it, it could be an actual literal question, but I, I see it more as rhetoric that he's using. Is it? You know, and, and they, they, don't, they don't dare to answer. They're all just silent. Now, these are people that aren't used to being challenged. They're not used to, uh, they're used to being the ones that are, are um, respected and uh, the ones that are sought out for answers. And now when they're being challenged, uh, you know, they're quiet. And, uh, you know, he, he obviously... Uh, being the word of God, uh, you know, can can challenge them with the word. But you know, the, the questions asked, and they're speechless. And and uh, he's asking these people, and like I said, they've grown accustomed to honoring th the traditions of man over the word of God. So Jesus often challenged these religious leaders that had lost their focus. He brought them back to the word constantly. Every time he wanted, he corrected them. He's 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 often using. Uh, the word specifically in quoting the word, bless you. So, uh, so he's he's meeting the needs of this man, and uh, and then he sends him on his way. I like the simplicity of what it's what's said here, because the focus of what we're of, of of what's being written here, when uh, the physician Luke wrote this, is for us to understand uh, how the Lord was dealing with the Pharisees. There's a great deal of what we're learning about the Pharisees that we need to understand uh, that we need to guard our hearts from because the Pharisees were, uh, were, you know, prideful and, and we can see that. And, you know, none of us could ever be prideful. So I, I think we get, we all have an opportunity to, to learn and, and, uh, and to be able to apply some of these things to make sure we don't have a Pharisaical heart where we, we sit there and, and, uh, may just look, um, judgmental, but, um, it was often, uh, Jesus did that often where he would heal somebody and send them on their way. Heal them, send them on their way. Heal them, you know, send them home or, hey, go, go see the priests and, and, and those things. Uh, they wanted to, we'd see in some accounts and in and, and some instances where I just want, I'm staying right here like, like a kid, you latch right to dad or mom's leg. No, I'm staying right here with you. And the Lord would send them. And, uh, and then we saw the instances where he healed 10 and only one came back to say thank you. And, but it, what it says here is he healed him and let him go. And he, he went on his way. The focus was to speak to the Pharisees and, and to address uh, the issues that they were having in their own hearts. Uh, verse 5 says, uh, Then he answered, saying to them, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath. And they could not answer him regarding these things. So uh, who wouldn't want to save somebody's life on a Sabbath? You know, so it, it, what's happening here is uh, that they have, uh, uh, they were missing the whole point. The Pharisees, as religious leaders, were missing the point uh, that ministry is about people. 
That's that's literally why somebody is a minister to care for the spiritual needs of what we what we'd call the church today, but of Israel. It was this the spiritual needs, and they were very much there to uh, to provide you know leadership and those things. But things were upside down, and that's why the Lord was always challenging them. But they had lost the focus of you know here's this man, and you're more focused on you know what am I going to do rather than I mean think about it. Think about it. If we know somebody's going in, like I told you, my mom just had this surgery. I know when she goes into surgery, she's she's had heart heart issues and stuff like that. It's it's a little bit nerve wracking, you know. But if I know that if you know Jesus were to you know walk in the door, knowing what I know now, I don't have to worry. Oh, you know, is this going to mess with her heart? Is she going to have any complications? I've the great physician standing there to heal. You know that the the mindset and, and what they've seen in him already, um, it's uh, the uh, our hearts should never be. Oh, you know, you think about Jonah. You know, uh, Jonah comes to mind of of his heart was the destruction of Nineveh. You know, and and the Lord, you know, provided it gave him the very simple instruction: go to Nineveh and preach. And you know, he's getting swell swallowed by fish as he's trying to run away from God and. And the Lord brings him graciously, uh, uh, you know, spits him out on dry ground and, you know, provides a, some cover for him and, and speaks to him again. And then he goes in 40 days, 40 nights, you know, and, and destruction's on the way. And Nineveh change, it changes directions. They, they repent in their hearts. And there's, uh, there's repentance there. And uh, instead of being excited about the, the repentance and the, the salvation that has taken place in those hearts, uh, he's more upset saying, oh, I knew you were gracious. I knew you were going to say, right? Right? So it's, uh, you know, that that heart is not right for us. You know, it's not. And and the Lord has, you know, there are many different examples that we can pull from several different Bible accounts. You know, we might be able to glean this this time we read it, and the Lord may speak to us in, in a, in, from a different angle about that. Um and, and teach us as we're as we're growing in our faith, but but that that mindset of you know do we really want this guy healed? No, I just want to be able to arrest Jesus and drag him out of here. You know that's that's just too bad. So um, this is a group of people that were trusting in their works and the traditions of man. They'd kind of grown callous to what they were really called to do and and the needs of the people. Now the Pharisees, uh, a familiar. Um, brother of ours, uh, the Apostle Paul. And, uh, you know, if you think of, of, uh, of Paul in and of himself as he's, as he's writing to the church at Philippi in, in chapter, we know it as Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, uh, he says, uh, if anyone thinks he might have confident in the, confidence in the flesh, I more so. And he goes to give his spiritual resume. And that resume is, it speaks directly to uh, anybody who would say, hey, if anybody could be saved in the flesh, it's this guy. So he goes on to check all the the boxes, um, uh, uh, the the Jewish boxes of of right standing uh, in the law. It says he circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says concerning the law, a Pharisee. So he was a Pharisee. That same same group that we're studying, whether he was there or not, we don't know. Um, concerning zeal, uh, persecuting the church. Concerning righteousness from the law, blameless. So this is a man that understood the law, 
and was following it to a T. And he's, what he's saying is if anybody could have confidence in the flesh, it was him. And how did Paul identify himself other than I'm the chief of sinners? Right? So, so all of those things, he's listing all those things, and he's like, I count it all as trash. It doesn't matter. None of this matters as he's explaining that to the church at Philippi. This does not matter. All these things are, are uh, this is, these are things that people may look at and go, wow, oh, wow, wow. But there's your reward. That's the most that you'll ever get. It's the grace of God. You know, Paul, the same one that, that wrote in Ephesians 2, that oh, we're saved by grace through faith and not of works. And, and because what are we going to do then? Then we're boasting. You know, and I love that Paul just says, no, the only boasting I'm doing is in Christ. So that that uh, that contrite heart, that uh, um, that humility uh, that needs to be there. Uh, Exodus 23, uh, verse 5 says, if you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying under its burden, and you refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. Deuteronomy 22, verse 4 says, You shall not see your brother's donkey or ox fall down along the road and hide yourself from them. You shall, shall surely help him lift them up again. So uh, in their scriptures, they would be very, very familiar with those. I mean, these, these men had had dedicated their lives to understanding the scriptures and teaching the scriptures. So they're not, Jesus wasn't giving them a new teaching. It was very much, you know, uh, in, in the, the Pentateuch, they, they were very familiar with the first five books of the law. So uh, when it, when it came down to it, they, when they hear him quote, Oh, Oh, okay. So, but they don't have anything to say. They couldn't answer. Um, as in other times they're stumped. Uh, you know, he stumped them by using the word. And they're they're speechless. They're at a point where they, uh, you know, if we say this, <laughs> we're going to look at it. And if we say that, then so, the, you know, they just everybody just stands there quiet. We've seen that before. Right. Verse seven. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best, how they chose the best places saying to them. And we'll get in what he said, but, uh, so same setting, uh, it's the same people that were invited, and he's got the, the audience that needs to hear what he has to say here. And um, I, I just have a couple notes here that I wrote. I wouldn't be surprised uh, that they were, uh, you know, thinking that they had Jesus there, that, you know, as he's walking into the house, you know, they might be looking at a buddy going, hey, who's with us? You know, and, you know it's a status thing. Who knows? It might have been that. Uh, we don't know their hearts, but you know we can we can kind of it's 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 dangerous to say hey this is exactly what they were thinking because we don't know we don't know what private discussions were happening but my my mindset is where these people were those that like to sit in the best places they like the recognition I don't think that they're in my in my mind I, I believe pretty strongly that. These guys were making it a big deal that, hey, you know, the popular Jesus, he's right here. He's going into this house and we're here. He's hanging out with us. And uh, so it's I just see it as, you know, unfortunately for them, they're going to get a little more than what they bargained for. So uh, and, uh, you know, G Jesus had a plan in all of it. So they're used to the preference, preferential treatment and, and honor. And so they kind of expected it. And I, I love that it says that they chose the best places. Because then he's going to go on and he's going to talk to them about, wait a minute, choosing that best place is a little presumptuous and uh, and uh, can can get them into trouble and uh, and might 
might be indicative of some uh, humility that's needed and, and th there's a pride issue. So uh, as we continue, verse 8 says, When you were invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable uh, than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then you begin, uh, it, uh, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you were invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, "Friend, go up higher." Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So a lesson in humility and, and knowing our place. Uh, you, humility, and I have in here uh, in caps, this is me reminding myself as I type these things out in all caps, especially in the ministry. The humility has to be in the ministry. When there's pride and when there's separation, because once that pride starts creeping up, you're now too good to minister to people. And I uh, I know uh, everyone that's that's here, and I know that we've uh, are walking with the Lord, and we all have a ministry, whether it's here or whether it's wherever we are. God, when He saves us, and 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 uh, brings us to the point of maturity, gives us our own uh, gifts and abilities to be able to share and to bless others with. And uh, this uh, it's especially important for us to understand humility is so needed in any type of ministry that we have. Really, how exciting is it to be around somebody who's super prideful, right? I, and when I say that, I always think back to being on the playground for some reason. I don't know why, but being in uh, being in that, you know, uh, I don't know, middle school or whatever, that prideful guy that nobody wants to play football or basketball with or tag or whatever the game is because they're the greatest and they're going to tell you the greatest and they're going to explain why they're the greatest. And you're just saying, shut up, I want to play, man. You know, so it, it's, it's, it's also important to understand that we, we can be that person very easily and we might be that person, you know, so it's, we, we always need to be able to, um, keep ourselves in check that we're not, you know, having a, you know, a prideful look or we're not conducting ourselves, uh, as those that are, are prideful. We are, are supposed to. Uh, stand strong. There's there's a difference of uh, in pride and confidence. You know that's uh, there's we can be confident. We must be confident in our faith. But uh, to come across as as prideful and and uh, you know looking down upon uh, others, that's where the danger comes in. So I have another note on here is that titles can be dangerous. We can get all wrapped up in oh I need the title. I need the title. I need to be a deacon. I need to be a worship leader. I need to be a pastor. I need somebody to recognize me as this and that. Those are those are things that can easily be very uh, dangerous in our lives and destructive in our hearts. It's just so important that we understand that our service is to the Lord and to serve His church and and to reach out to the lost. Very simple. Just what were the the the, the command? Everything that's written in the Old Testament, all the law and everything can all be wrapped up in two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Simplicity. Just just get lost in that simplicity of loving God and loving our neighbor. 
that's I love the the simplicity of that. Proverbs twenty five verse verses six and seven says, "Do not exalt yourself in the presence of a king, and do not stand in the place of the great, for it is better that he say to you, come up here, than that you should be put lower in the presence of the prince, whom your eyes have seen." So let a promotion come when you know when the lord has it for us or you know when we're don't assume oh hey you know what i, I need to be seen so i'm gonna go up there you know that that spotlight seeking is is obviously very uh very dangerous and if jesus isn't uh if jesus is teaching on it you know it's important so so he's he's continuing to use the word to correct the religious leaders and uh he's teaching them humility and not to think highly of themselves and uh, as we said, they love the recognition. Um, they weren't called to be celebrities, but uh, you know, I, somebody might need to remind the televangelist. Joel Osteen could probably hear that. You know, I, uh, I I'm bugged every time. Uh, you know, I hear some new, and I haven't heard much news on him lately. But he came to mind when I thought that. I wonder when the last time that guy has just sat down with a common person and had burger and fries and just talked about life or baseball or something, you know, just having a normal conversation. And it's so important um, to understand that the ministry in whatever capacity is not supposed to bring any glory to us. It's not supposed to make us celebrities or stars or anything like that. You know, those are uh, any, any minister needs to be in, in, in any ministry that we have, be very, very cautious of that. Yes, we can. You can be, uh, you know. I, I've told you guys several times, scared to death every time I'm standing here playing and singing. Uh, you know, you guys know, uh, carpal tunnel. My hand will freeze up, or I'll sing off key, or I'll do something, and, and, and there's always the fear of failure. And uh, you know, those things scare me to death, and it scares me to be up here reading because I and I say this every time. I'll read words that are m microscopic here, and I'll lose my place and stumble and fumble uh, those things. And uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord keeps us where He wants us, and and uh, and uh, His grace is sufficient for us. So it's important for us to understand. Oh, this thorn, you know, this thorn hurts. Will you remove it? No, I'm going to remind you of your weaknesses, John. You know, and and you've got this. Just rely upon me. You know, and and he's going to take care of everything. I wanted to share Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. So there's always that warning. The the scripture it's all through the scripture warnings about pride. Uh, they're they're all through the scripture. So very important for us to understand the dangers of pride, and that's what the, the Lord is talking about. So. It's it started in uh, verse seven where it says that they um, how they chose the best places. Uh, to choose a best place means I'm pretty high. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. You know, I'm a pretty important guy. You know, and uh, and that's it's just uh, something that the Lord is is dealing with in their hearts. So uh, Matthew twenty three. If you can keep your place here uh, and turn over to Matthew twenty three, just take a left. You're going to go back. You'll see Mark. You guys know this. I gave myself 11 verses to read here. Hopefully I can. There we go. Matthew 23, verse 1. Matthew 23 is tough to read because you know the, the religious leaders are getting 
just beaten up. The Lord is is addressing every single, not every single thing, but he, there's no escape. You know, if you've ever, uh, I, anybody watched the Marvel movies or anything, if you, if you saw when, um, when Hulk finally got a hold of, of Loki, Thor's brother, if you remember the, the scene I'm talking about, and he finally takes Loki and he just starts smashing him off the ground, <laughs> you know, and it's just a boom, 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 boom. That's spiritually what's happening to these guys. The woe of, uh, you know, Jesus, this isn't good. Thing. These aren't good things for them. to hear. They need the correction. But to be in that place, you know, so the Lord's not mincing any words here. I mean, what's what's being uh, the, the delivery is is concise and, and clear and and most definitely corrective. So uh, Matthew 23, verse 1 says, Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to hear, and lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men that they uh, that make their uh, phylacteries broad and enlarge their borders of their garments. Spiritual. That's uh, just a break right here for a second. The spiritual garb, you know, the the border of their robes, everything to make them, you know, look uh, even more spiritual. Verse six. Uh, that. They love the best places, seen that again, right? At the feast, the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men rabbi. But you do not uh, but you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are uh, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he is he who is in heaven, and do not be called teachers. For one is your teacher, the Christ, but he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. So we're just going to stop there. We could keep going there. But if you if you look back at, at verse uh, verses 6 and 7, they love the best place in the feast, uh, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace. And uh, those things there, you know, Jesus is speaking of them, that they, they love these things and um you know, Jesus did teach that uh, the good deeds are to be done in secret and God would reward openly. Uh, the goal should always be the Lord seeing us and not men. It's very important for us as believers to understand that what we do, we probably you know, we don't need to go, you know, if we're uh, helping somebody, I don't know, you know, pay for someone's groceries in front of, behind you, whatever it may be, you know, oh, oh you know what, I got to tell everybody on Facebook. Or I need to let everybody, well, there's your reward. There it goes. You just wrapped it up, threw it in the trash because nobody knew, right? Uh, it's it's that that mindset of you know, just just guard guard ourselves because it can it can easily be pride. Uh, Matthew six verses um, sixteen through eighteen, when when Jesus was speaking, um, he says uh, when, when he's talking about fasting, he said you know for anoint your oil. Uh, anoint your head with oil. You know, don't go broadcasting and showing everybody in a long face and everything, showing everybody I'm doing something spiritual in order for other you know people to look at us and and be in awe. Again, you have your reward. Uh, that that's it. So uh, you know, praying on the streets to be seen. Uh, as Christians, many of us may pray uh, in public, and 
I, I encourage you that if the Lord's leading you to do so, I mean, my, me and my family, we sit down uh, to eat. And I, I'm saying this, and I'm trying to make sure I'm not saying this in a prideful way as I'm talking about it, but it's it's a way of, of, of just practicing our faith uh, as we sit. I sit quietly, you know, we sit quietly and we, and we pray, but, uh, and it's blessed people. People have come over and talked to us, but we're not doing it for that. But we're also not going to be afraid to thank the Lord for what he's blessed us with uh, in public. If, if that's, if my, hopefully it's coming across right. But uh, it's, it's that, you know, it's, it's okay to, to, um, to practice our faith, but it can sometimes, uh, the line can be uh, blurred when we start uh, doing things in a prideful manner. So uh, James and Peter both quoted uh, Proverbs verses, uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 34. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, James, and uh, you're a note taker, James 4, 6 and uh, 1 Peter 5, 5. So they both quoted the same thing. Might be important then. You know, if you think of, you know, two of the leaders of the, of the New Testament church in the first century were uh, quoting the same thing. The last, uh, before we move on, and uh, uh, from here, and um, and we just kind of keep going on. I have, a, I wrote in a note. I think that might have been this morning, but remembered Herod. You know, uh, remember eaten by worms. <laughs> that's that's awful to think of. But why? Why? What? What happened to him? It was that pride when he had everybody there, and they say start when he's pleased everybody, the voice of a god and not a man. He didn't stop him. He didn't correct him. That's an awful way to die. You know, so when the scripture uses as big of an example of that, it's it's an important thing for us to be able to put in our minds and in our hearts to understand the importance of, of guarding our hearts against pride. Very, very important. Uh, it's disgusting to humans and it's uh, and it appalls the Lord. So we as we're reading reading through here, that pride is what makes them assume that they're going into the best place and they're going to sit here and they're going to be in the place of honor. Those things, it's all based, it's all uh, you know rooted in, in pride. Verse 12, uh, then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus adds more uh, to the proper mindset of uh, humility and selflessness here, because what's happening here is as he's explaining everything, he goes and he goes at the end of his statement here, and he says, "You shouldn't do things to receive back, to be be repaid, be able to to bless and remember the needy, to serve them, uh, consider others more important than ourselves." Uh, Paul said in Philippians two, "Let nothing be done through selfish ambition uh, or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition." So we may be serving, but is there is there something we're trying to get out of it, right? We guys know, you guys know when when something's too good to be true. Wait a minute, you know, you know that as Will was talking about the baloney meter, <laughs> when that baloney meter's going off, maybe we need to slow down and trust the baloney meter. Like, wait a minute, something's going. On. Actually, it happened to me last night at work. So 
um, I work at campus safety uh, at a college, and um, I, uh, I get a phone call, and it's a campus, it's an emergency line, you know, so you call, well, emergency, kids get locked out, or there's a, I, I had a kid call me once because there was a skunk somewhere, I'm like, stay away from it, you know, <laughs> you know, I can't go trap the skunk, okay, so, you know, we, we know that they're on campus, so, but uh, so some of the calls are funny, um, you know, hey, I lost my wallet or whatever. Uh, and sometimes it's an alarm company saying, hey, there's an alarm going off in this building, whatever it might be. So I get what I believe, still believe is a sales call. And I couldn't understand the person. So I asked them to repeat what they were saying. And I still couldn't understand. Them. And they said, can I speak? Uh, they were asking, is there somebody, uh, a supervisor that we can speak to? And you guys know my old career uh, in the military. I, um, I I worked in sales. I, I was the recruiting retention superintendent. And, uh, I, I got those calls from salespeople. They would call and they want to, they want to talk to me. So they would call somebody else in the office and they're, what they really want to know is, can I talk to the person that has the permission to give me money? You know, that's what they're, and that's what they're trying to do. And I, I was asking them, is this a sales call? No, this isn't a sales call. Okay. Well, what type of call is it? This, you're, you're, this is uh, campus safety. And it was a friendly conversation. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of going around and around, and I said, if this is a sales call, this is a, a you know, a, a, a campus safety line. I, this, this, this is very much for emergencies and stuff like that. Oh, we'll, we'll call back later. You know, so I, I know what it was. And, and, and that the baloney meter was going off, right? You know, it, it's just, it's, it's important for us to understand, um, you know, our, our surroundings and, and, and to be mindful and, uh, if that meter's going off, just understand. So uh, the focus of so when when so I'm sorry I'm going to bring you right back to what we're talking about here and back from the rabbit trail that I just took you down. But uh, the Lord is addressing something that He sees and knows is in this man's heart, and He says He's explaining to him that it's uh, we should be about blessing others and expecting nothing in return, and. Uh, as the scripture tells, more blessed to give give than to receive, right? So, and every kid knows that at Christmas time, right? So, so uh, bless those that can't repay you is what is it was the emphasis there. And the Pharisees, like like we've already discussed a few times, they're used to the VIP company to being in the VIP group, and they're also used to the VIP treatment, and they've lost focus of what their mission was as leaders. I might actually get through everything here. So verse 15. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Uh, still at the same dinner. So there is still the same same setting. Because in, in my Bible, I've got three different headers there and it might get broken up. And sometimes we might get an account of a couple different things within the same chapter. But we're still... We're still in this uh, Pharisee's uh, house, and uh, and this guy's saying this. And um, I I had uh, done a brief. Uh, actually, I looked up this verse, and I'm like, I, I want to know, you know, a little bit more around it from a, a teacher, David Guzik. Uh, if you're familiar, awesome stuff. If you're ever kind of lost when you get to the scripture, and um, and you've prayed about it, and you've kind of done your own research, that's what I, I, I encourage you to do. Don't just jump to the commentary yet. You know, do our own research, pray, pray about it, and uh, and and then use the commentary to confirm. Oh well, well, that was way off or whatever. But I liked David Gusick's line. He says maybe the guy's just uh, trying to ease the tension. 
I mean, there's a, this is a pretty heavy conversation what's happening here. And he's probably like, yeah, well, blessed are those that can eat bread in heaven, right? You know, so I, I like that. So I wanted to share it with you guys. Um, that's really all I had to say about that. But, um, and uh, it, what, he, what he's speaking of is uh, a banquet with the Messiah that's spoken of in the Old Testament. And for us, we can look at it in the New Testament as the marriage supper uh, of, of the Lamb from Revelation 19.9. Uh, 9. Uh, just a, a blessing to be uh, in the presence of the Lord in a banquet uh, with the Messiah, with the Savior. So he's just saying, hey, we've done all this and stuff. Well, won't it be awesome you know, to eat, to eat the heavenly bread? Uh, in the kingdom of God. Verse 16. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all, with one accord, began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground. I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I am going uh, to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came and reported these things to the master, to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So quite a, quite a bit that we just covered here. Uh, so we'll, we'll go all the way back. So Jesus is using a parable to explain Israel's rejection of God and God reaching out to the Gentiles. So not a popular topic amongst the uh, the, the Jewish leaders. So um, this was going to be a feast too. So the explanation is, is somebody that had a lot of food, um, probably very wealthy, had a, you know, a lot to offer. Now, I'm a type of guy where I hear free steak. Free whatever. Hey, kids, hop in the car. We're going to go eat. We're going to go celebrate. And whatever's being celebrated, you know, you think of all the food that's, that's eaten and consumed on the Super Bowl and everything. You know, all it's 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 a Thanksgiving type feast, you know, is the best way I can think of it. Or or, uh, yeah, probably Thanksgiving, because that's you know where everybody gains like 15 pounds over the weekend or whatever. So uh, everything's there. It's free. Uh, I, I, I put a note in here to remind myself. Um, my supervisor, when I had first become a recruiter, uh, she was talking to me in my first six years, uh, in there. She told me about an air show that was hosted that we hosted in Bangor. And she said they weren't really getting a whole lot of, cause you know, you've set up a recruiting booth to see if, you know, Hey, does anybody want to join? I mean, uh, it's important to, to have, if, especially if we're hosting it, that we'd have a recruiting booth. And she said, nobody really came. And then, uh, this guy that, that was, uh, the, uh, one of the recruiters way before I came in said, oh, I got an idea. And he gets a poster board and he writes free stuff on it with an arrow. And she said there was a line and people are, people are coming and they, I mean, it doesn't matter what we're giving away when it's free. It's, what do your own experiment. If you're giving something away, people are climbing over each other to get to the free erasers or the free, whatever a t-shirt. 
It might be the ugliest T-shirt in the world, but you got it for free, right? Yeah, I, and believe me, I, especially as a kid, you know, I uh, more and more enticed by that. But you know, as we get older, well, like, okay, I'm not going to stand in line for a free pencil, but people will. And uh, so anything they can get for free. But what's happening here is there's a feast. And Jesus is using this parable to teach of this type of feast where, hey, come and benefit. Be blessed. Eat some good food. And the response is, is I have better things to do. I got other stuff going on. You know, uh, I got to take care of some stuff. And uh, ultimately, uh, they're rejecting the master and the banquet that's being offered. They, they understood that, you know, the Pharisees, the Pharisees understood when a parable was being taught. Wait a minute. There, there's something being taught here. You know, there were some, some, you know, uh, par, uh, parables that were head scratchers to everybody, but, um, but very much they, they, they understood these things. So rejecting Israel rejected the prophets, the disciples, the apostles, ultimately the Messiah, right? And uh, Messiah before the uh, disciples and apostles. But um, Matthew 21, verse uh, 42, Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was talking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. They understood Jesus sending out the 12, another uh, scripture reference when Jesus sending out the 12 Matthew uh, in Matthew 10 verses five and six, Jesus told the 12 at that point to go out to, to the Gentiles, uh, sorry, to go out to the lost sheep of Israel specifically verse five told them not to minister at that time to the Gentiles and the, and the Samaritans. That wasn't the mission at that point. It was to the lost sheep of Israel. If you remember, um, Romans 1, Romans 1, you know, uh, not ashamed of the gospel for his power of God to salvation uh, for, for all who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, right? The, 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 the primary mission at first was that the, that the uh, church of well, the, um, the Hebrews would be uh, ministered to uh, and, and then uh, the plan would, would grow and we'd understand that what was happening, God's, uh, you know, ultimate plan. So uh, that, so he, he's, he's told them very specifically in Matthew 10, uh, they go to the lost sheep of Israel, not necessarily right now to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. Uh, and the salvation uh, that that is uh, being dis, uh, described here is, I have a note here, salvation based on God's grace through faith in him, not on our bloodlines, family members, beliefs, traditions, those things. So as we're looking at the Jewish, uh, anybody who's Jewish, uh, the Samaritan, uh, the Samaritan is a uh, Greek-speaking Jew that had uh, had um, adopted the Greek cultures and uh, and their their language and and everything and and the Gentiles, you know, the, whatever it is, is it, the salvation is in in a bloodline. It isn't in anything other than uh, accepting Christ as our Savior by grace through faith. Right? That's what the Scriptures tell us. Um, I'm going to read uh, – uh, oh, I, I copy and pasted it. I'm proud of myself. Uh, Acts chapter 13, uh, verse 42 says, uh, So when the Jews uh, – so 
uh, before I get into that, sorry. So not to the Samaritans and, and Gentiles at that point. Now, as we fast forward and we look at, you know, after uh, the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord, and uh, they've, they've, uh, the apostles have been ministering uh, to, uh, to the Jews uh, up to this point, uh, Acts chapter 13, and this is where things take a change. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that, the, uh, that these words might be preached to them uh, the next Sabbath. Now, when the congregation had broken up, Many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting uh, and contradicting and blaspheming. Uh, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. So there's there was that shift. Paul makes it very clear uh, that it was happening right here in Acts chapter 13. So that's a great, great note, great reference to remember of, of the, you know, when the, the switch hit. So very, very important, though. A lot of people, um, especially new in their faith, uh, need to understand, though, is that Israel's rejection um, is not permanent and it's not uh, uh, final. It, uh, it's not total and it's not uh, final, I should say. So Romans 10, another thing for we're not going to have time to read through those, but very important to understand if you want to kind of dig, dig a little deeper into that. Romans 10 and 11 are going to describe those, and I'm going to give you a couple cliff notes real fast. Romans 10 uh, speaks of uh, Israel's need for the gospel. Uh, Acts, uh, I said Romans. I think I was supposed to write here. Um, uh, Romans 10 verse 1, I wrote Acts. but Rome, My heart's desire and prayer to God uh, for Israel is that they may be saved. So that they may be saved. So what he's saying here is that Israel needs the gospel. And Paul's saying my heart is for Israel is that they may be saved. Uh, another cliff note, chapter 10, verse 19, Israel rejects the gospel, um, and it's to provoke uh, God used uh, speaking and that salvation would come to the Gentiles as a way of provoking Israel back to him and provoke him to jealousy. Uh, verses 19 and 20 of, of Romans 10 is uh, God found by those uh, that God was being found by those that did not seek him and uh, made manifest to those who did not uh, ask for him. So that as a way of provoking the Jews uh, to jealousy, the Lord reached out to the Gentile world. Thankfully, for any of us here who's not Jewish, you know we uh, so thankfully uh, so thankfully did it. Romans uh, ten twenty one says, "But to Israel he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long I've reached out to them, and then." Uh, uh, Israel's rejection isn't final, Romans 11. So that's some cliff notes from uh, from uh, chapter 10. Romans 11, uh, verse 1 says, Has God cast away his people? Paul writes, Certainly not. Verse 11, he says, I say then, Have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. So this is talking about Israel's rejection isn't final and total. Okay? Uh, verse 11 of Romans 11 says, I say then, Have they stumbled? That they should not fall, certainly not. But through their fall, which means their trespass, 
uh, to provoke them to jealousy. Salvation has come to the Gentiles. So chapter 11 goes on to explain uh, branches being broken off uh, of the olive tree, which is an example. I um, uh, can't think of the word. A picture, um, a type of uh, Israel, and and it goes on to explain that God can break off a branch and then graft it back in, and that He grafted. Uh, the Gentiles, and so I'm so grateful that God grafts and that it, things aren't final, aren't you? Just, his, his grace is so awesome. So until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, it says. So until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We don't know when that is, but uh, it, it, the door's still open. I think we're going to make it through. We're going to make it through. Verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned... And said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Pretty direct. Pretty direct. Now, um, I remember uh, just as a, as a new Christian when I'm seeing hate, my mom into hate. Hate what? what, what you know, the, the scramble your brain right up into, you know, scrambled eggs. Uh, just understanding. So immediately after describing the effects of rejecting or accepting Jesus, he's now explaining the cost of and what it means to follow him. Following me on that. So he's just talked about, hey, uh, you know, don't don't reject God, don't reject those things. But if you are going to follow him, this is what it means to follow him. So uh, Matthew chapter ten, uh, verse thirty-seven. Offers us some more uh, some more context on this. Uh, Matthew ten thirty seven says, "He who loves the uh, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me." What we're being told here is to count the cost of following Jesus and to make the make the decision. Actually, we just sang tonight. I've decided to. No, we didn't sing that tonight. Uh, I had that as one of the songs, and I was like, "No, we're going to go." Uh, I choose Jesus. And so we, yeah, we can use that one as the example. I choose Jesus. Uh, but that song, I, um, uh, I have decided to follow Jesus. A great song, you know. No turning back. Very simple. You know, there aren't a whole lot of words, but the the declarations are are powerful in that song. I love that song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And. Uh, Make the right choice and follow him. That's what the scripture points us to. It's what the Holy Spirit ministers to our hearts and to anybody who's seeking and, and hears the words of the Lord and, and um, is affected by uh, by the gospel. So what happens here as he's describing is if you're following me, that his will is going to govern our lives, 
not our lives, not the lives and the will of our family, our friends, or whatever it is. It's it's His will. We're, we've now accepted the Lord, and and we have a new master. Before it was us. We were master. We had control of everything. We want to do. I want to do it. Hey, do as thou wilt. Right. The Satanic Bible starts at one commandment. Just do what you want to do. Right. The book of Nod. You know that's pretty simple. Hey, you do you. You do what you want to do. But the Lord. Uh, He's, he's the God of all creation. The rules are his. And uh, what he's saying here is, you know, his will is going to govern our lives. And yes, we're losing. We're losing our will. And we may think that we're losing everything and life's going to be empty and lost and sorrowful. But oh, oh man, anybody whose eyes have been open and we've been walking with the Lord, we know that we made the right decision. We know that the Lord offers true life, true peace. Oh, if you've never watched um, the the documentaries, uh, Drugs Incorporated, or anything like it, interventions, whatever, you see you see the brokenness, and I've experienced it um, uh, very deeply in my family. Just uh, lost uh, one of my siblings to uh, substance abuse uh, last year, and uh, it, it's it's awful. It is awful, and I've seen it just wreck and destroy lives, families. That is the the that's the basically the result of us uh, of us just doing what we want to do. What Jesus is saying is if you're going to follow me, you need to count the cost. The cost needs to be counted. And, you, and he goes on to say, if you're going to build, better make sure you got everything because if you lay the foundation, how many times have we seen that? You guys have seen that, right? You see a foundation board and you get all excited. What's going to happen? A year later, two years later, <laughs> it's still just a foundation. Something happened, right? Maybe the cost wasn't counted. What he's saying is that spiritually we don't want to be in that at that situation. Very important for us to understand. We might lose relationships, but our relationship with God is ultimately what matters. Uh, and he's going to work and establish uh, our earthly relationships, uh, and those things will will you know be in line. I've, I've talked about that before. That as we're seeking the Lord, He's going to build, uh, and we're going to have relationships with other people. But we might lose some of those that that were founded on sinful things or you know evan and i were talking about the old you know old old life of you know what we might have accepted and followed and and then to like to be kind of thrust back into a situation um where you know you're around if if, if you were a party or a drinker and then you get around them and you're like this is not fun at all in a barbecue or well you're like oh man you know those types of things but just understanding things are going to change in our lives we are being told that we need to stand in our faith and be immovable in him um, not unapproachable, and uh, but not compromising in our faith. Also, we we just need to be graciously uh, and and uh, without compromise sharing our faith. Uh, just a very important balance that we have to have there. Understanding that all the work is done in our hearts by the Holy Spirit as we yield our will to His, uh, and uh, you know all these things that we just read uh, from twenty five to thirty three, the Spirit takes care of as we just yield to Him. Everything else is going to fall into place if we just continue. Not my will be done, but your will be done. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt. We've talked about it several times, and I know Will just talked about it, so I'm going to touch on it briefly. Salt is used for taste and and uh, as a uh, preservative, uh, especially in that culture. You know, salt was the preservative. And what do we? Uh, just you know, Jen is an amazing cook, 
and she makes awesome stuff and you know she knows okay i'm gonna put this you know and everything and and uh, she made um uh, spaghetti and meatballs the other night and and uh, she and i'd never thought of it much i i'm usually just like spaghetti sauce over spaghetti and and i'm watching some people put salt and pepper on it so i put it on i love the taste of salt i love the taste of pepper i don't know if i if i me myself put too much on there or whatever but salt's good you know <laughs> salt salt is good you know and sometimes we need to we need to come back you know too much sodium and we get bloated and you know things uh things aren't you know where we or just get super thirsty whatever it may be um but uh, it, it's just uh uh, salt is designed it, it, it tastes good and it's used as a preservative and that's that's ultimately what it is if it doesn't taste good and it's not being and and it's lost what it what it's designed to be you throw it out on the ground that's that's all that it can be done that can be done with it and uh, we when Jesus told us we are the salt we are the light right so don't not lose our flavor um, and uh, so uh, as the salt, don't be flavorless and don't compromise to be accepted. Are those two notes I put in here. Um, it's so important for us to, to remain steadfast in our faith. We made it. So as a recap, uh, all of what we just covered in uh, Luke chapter 14, the big things that I wrote down here that I, I believe that uh, we we're to take away for tonight is one, humility in our service to God. Very important for us to understand the importance of humility uh, and and not to be puffed up to minister without hope of an expectation of receiving anything back from anyone on earth. Just give and don't hope to get back. You know, it's 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 an awesome challenge. It's so far away from what the world is, is, hey, do this to gain this, do this to gain this. It's I love God's economy. It's awesome. Uh, the, the third thing, so we got humility in our service to God, minister without hope of an expectation of receiving anything in return. Um, walk with the Lord now, experiencing his blessing. Banquet with the Lord. Celebrate our salvation and our freedom from sin. You know, those are, those are great things for us, for us to walk with the Lord now and experience his blessing. I don't want to be the guy that he says, all right, that guy's not listening. Go find those people. That, that's a bad place to be. The fourth thing, reject the world and walk with Christ. You know, that, that summary there. Lastly, continue to be a blessing and a preservative. Salt, something that, that, that tastes good, that can, it can bless those around us. Nobody wants bitterness. Nobody, it doesn't say, you are the lemons of the earth, right? <laughs> so lemons taste good, and I, I think I've shared with you, one of my kids can just grab her whole of a lemon, and, and I don't know how, right? But it's the, you know, continue to be a blessing uh, and a preservative. That's what we're called to do. Amen? Man, let's pray. Father, we are blessed by your word. We pray, God, that as you challenge us and as you teach us, Lord, that our hearts would be willing to yield to you, that uh, that we wouldn't be stiff-necked, uh, and uh, that we would see uh, when there are corrections needed in our hearts, minds, and lives, and that we would let your spirit do your work and not fight you. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would be um, blessings to those around us and that we would be uh, loving vessels, sharing your love with them. In this world that is so broken and so hurting, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to use us, to send us. Lord, that we would stand strong in our faith, that our relationship uh, individually with you would be so strong, and our relationship as a body, 
uh, of believers here at Calvary Chapel Down East, that we would be knitted together in you. So important, Lord, that we're all together under you and uh, that you have us uh, to do your will and that we are pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, we pray that you be with us as we go about the rest of our week. Protect us, bless us, and use us uh, until we're together again. In Jesus' name, amen.